0: Listening to CITR Radio, FM 102, Cable 102, Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, and in War, the Human Serviette Radio Show. You just heard right there, Party Ghost by Z Braziers, brand new from Ottawa, Ontario. They have a 12-inch out and all their songs are on one side of the 12-inch, and there's nothing on the other side of the 12-inch. Hence, all the songs are really close together. It's hard to find the beginning of Party Ghost and hard to know the end of Party Ghost. So when you get the Zee Braziers record, you're just going to have to put it on and listen from the start till the end. Zee Braziers from Ottawa, Ontario with Party Ghost. Today on the Nordwater Human Serviette Radio Show, an interview with director Alex... Cox, the director of many movies, including Repo Man, Walker, Sid and Nancy, and Straight to Hell, which, incidentally, is playing tonight in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, as part of a double bill with Dennis Hopper's Out of the Blue. And if you keep listening to the to Human Survey Radio Show, you're going to find yourself a chance to win some tickets to go see Straight to To hell. So, as I mentioned, Alex Cox today on the Nardwar to Human Serviette radio show coming up. And if you're listening on the internet, tweet me at Nardwar, N-A-R-D-W-U-A-R, if you have any questions for Alex Cox. Or you can call in 604-822-247-604-UBC-CITR. Alex Cox on the Nardwar to Human Serviette radio show coming up shortly. Right now, I thought I would begin with some Alex Cox-isms, including some of the bands that have been in some of his movies. And I want to begin right now here with Joe Strummer's Clash from the Cut the Crap album. I love the Cut the Crap album. And here's Joe Strummer's Clash, because it was just Joe and Paul Simon at this time for Cut the Crap, and Bernie Rhodes co-wrote all the songs. Here is my favorite song off the album, Dirty Punk. And in coming up in a bit, an interview with director Alex Cox today on Denard War, The Human Serviette Radio Show. And I should have mentioned it's tonight at the Van City that Straight to Hell is playing on a double bill with Out of the Blue. Dennis Hopper's Out of the Blue. And Dennis Hopper is in Straight to Hell. Here is The Clash with Dirty Punk from my favorite album really released that year, at least, by The Clash. (laughs) Cut the crap.
1: (laughs) I'm the time to make up. I are the I I am Gonna rock your neighborhood. Crystal, step up in the griddle Salsa, beef ketchup, you tell me and I'll catch up Okay A-R-L-S, it's Salsa, beef ketchup, hey, salsa, beef ketchup Well, they're sure and they're long and they taste quite strong
0: And you're still listening to CITR Radio, FM 102, Cable 102, Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, and the war, the Human Serviette Radio Show. You just heard right there from the Straight to Hell soundtrack, Carl's Disco Wiener Heaven by Xander Schloss of the Circle Jerks. Who was singing that song? And before that, we heard a little bit of Joe Strummer from the Walker soundtrack. Joe Strummer with The Unknown Immortal. And before that, The Clash with Dirty Punk. Again, all this relates to Alex Cox today on the Nardwire to Human Serviette radio show, an interview with. Alex Cox, the director of Straight to Hell, the director of Repo Man, the director of Sid and Nancy, the director of Repo Chick, the director of The Silencers 2.0, the director of many, many, many other films. Today, live on the Nerdwater Human Serviette Radio Show, in probably about 10 minutes. If you have any questions for Alex, 604-822-2487, 604-UBC-CITR, when he opens up the phone lines, when I open up the phone line, when me being Nardwar the Human Serviette opens up the phone line, and you're listening to CITR Radio, of course, or you can tweet me at at Nardwar, N-A-R-D-W-U-A-R. As I mentioned, the circle jerks, I think, well, we should play some more circle jerks. So here are the circle jerks from the love, with the song Love Kills, from the Sid and Nancy soundtrack, another movie that Alex Cox did. Love Kills, not by Joe Strummer, Love Kills by The Circle Jerks. And coming up shortly, an interview with Alex Cox on the Nardwar The Human Serviette Radio Show.
2: Dressed to kill There ain't no use in standing still Now don't be shy about what you do Cause everybody's watching you
0: Still listening to CITR Radio, FM 102, Cable 102, Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, and the Nardwar, the Human Serviette Radio Show. And who do we have on the line right now? Hello, are you there, caller?
3: Am I the caller? Yes, you are the caller. Yes, I am, yes. Who are you? beg 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 your pardon? Who are you? My name is Alex Cox, and I'm the director of a film called Straight to Hell Returns, which you're going to be giving away free tickets for shortly.
0: Alex, what can you tell the people about Straight to Hell Returns?
3: Um, if they liked Straight to Hell originally, they'd probably like this even more. And if they didn't like Straight to Hell previously, they, may not, they still may not like it. So it depends on the consumer.
0: And it is playing tonight here in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. A double bill with Out of the Blue, Out of the Blue, and Straight to Hell returns, and that's happening tonight here in Vancouver, 7 p.m. for Out of the Blue, and then at 9 p.m. Straight to Hell.
3: And we that's have a pretty good double bill, really, because Out of the Blue is actually a good movie. I mean, it's very well, sort of had a proper director.
0: And it has, of course, Dennis Hopper in it as well. Uh-huh. So a Dennis Hopper connection. And Straight to Hell is being introduced by Alan McInnes from Alienated in Vancouver, who did an interview with you. And Out of the Blue is being introduced by various cast members since the movie was filmed in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. And also one of the cast members that will be appearing is Tony Bardock from the band Appointed Sticks, who actually appear in Out of the Blue. So that's today at the Van City Theatre in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, 7 o'clock for Out of the Blue, 9 o'clock for Straight to Hell. Before you came on the line, Alex, I was playing a whole bunch of music. We ended there with The Untouchables. What can you tell the people about the band, The Untouchables, who make an appearance in Repo Man?
3: They were a ska band, weren't they? They were a Los Angeles ska band. And they all had scooters.
0: They were indeed. And didn't they play a gang that was harassing Emilio?
3: They did. They played, the, well, they played the relatives of an old lady who Emilio Estevez was, was going to try was attempting to steal her car. And so they were just really defending their grandma, you know, so I can't we really blame them.
0: How did you find the Untouchables?
3: I suppose I must have met them through that scene. I used to go to all these shows when I lived in Los Angeles back in those days, in the early 80s. And so a lot of people who were kind of on... On the punk scene at that time, like Circle Jerks and Fear and Xander Schloss, you know, all got involved one way or another in the film. And, of course, we had a song by Iggy Pop. Iggy Pop wrote as the main theme.
0: And, of course, before The Untouchables, well, I don't think you actually heard the Nardward the Human Security Radio show. You weren't listening, because right now, where are you right now, actually, Alex Cox?
3: Uh, right now, I'm in Albuquerque, New Mexico, where and you- we're screening. Straight to how returns.
0: And you are Alex Cox. If anybody has any questions for Alex Cox, it's 604-822-2487, 604-UBCCITR. Or you, all can, you can also tweet at Nardwar. And Alex, before the Untouchables, I played the circle jerks with Love Kills. Not Joe Strummer, oh, okay. <laughs> but the circle jerks doing Love Kills. What can you say about that?
3: Is that the Joe Strummer one, or is that another Love Kill song that they wrote? That's I think the, that's one they wrote specifically, isn't
0: it? Exactly. That's the song that they wrote. Xander and Keith yeah. Morris, the Circle Jerks. How did you get them on the soundtrack? Did they write that specifically for that particular...
3: Because I, Joe Xander was doing- wasn't a Circle Jerk in those days. Xander became a Circle Jerk after, the, um, after Repo Man. I think that he replaced a guy called Chuck Biscuits.
0: Who was from Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. Really? Yes.
3: Well, what he, a small
0: world. Yes, well, of course, he was born in United States of America, but he grew up here in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. And before that, we played something called Carl's Disco Wiener from oh, well, Straight to Hell.
3: Straight to Hell classic.
0: What yeah. can you tell the people about that particular performance? It straight-
3: was written on set by Xander, Joe Strummer, and Miguel Sandoval. And uh, I think they're the credited authors of it. And um, boy, it was just this song that they, people kept coming up with songs because there were so many musicians in the film and the film had a fairly loose structure. So people kept going, oh, I've written a song, you know? And uh, I was very indulgent in those days. And so I would always, oh, well, let's put it in the film, you know? And, and that was one of the songs, but it was the, definitely the song that kind of, I think that sort of caught the, caught the idea of the film best. It was, it was just the most exemplary song from the film.
0: Carl's Disco Wiener. Is that the full name or is there something else?
3: I think added it's called it? Carl's Disco Wiener Tina Haven.
0: And before that, I played Joe Strummer with The Unknown Immortal from the Walker soundtrack. Another movie that you made, and we're speaking here to Alex Koch. The other song there, The Disco Wiener, was from Straight to Hell. But what can you say about Joe Strummer's The Unknown Immortal from Walker?
3: Oh, I, uh, well, that's a wonderful song. I mean, it's a wonderful soundtrack, too. I mean, that's a... It's funny how that soundtrack has kind of got lost over the years. No one knows about that soundtrack. And it's a it is. I think it's the best solo work he ever did. I think after The Clash, it's absolutely the best work that Joe ever did. And it just sort of, somehow it kind of, the seems to have slipped away through the cracks of history, that soundtrack, doesn't it?
0: Kind of like your voice a little bit there, Alex. Can you speak up just a tiny little bit? My my
3: my, my mouth is pressed to the receiver of this telephone. I, I uh...
0: Oh, thank you very much. I appreciate that. I feel weird sure. telling a director to speak up. Have you often, over the years, told your actors to speak up at all, Alex?
3: No. No, because they don't need to, because you have microphones and stuff. You just get closer to them, you know I mean? So, I suppose, you know, sometimes, maybe so, maybe if there was something else, maybe if there was extraneous noise. But normally you kind of, you know, you just get in close because it's different from the theatre. If they're in the theatre, the actors have to speak up, you know, they have to project their voice, you know. But in a film, it's a it's a different type of acting, isn't
0: it? And Alex, to begin my little musical segment, I began with "Dirty Punk" by the Clash. Basically, just Joe Strummer and Paul Simona and Bernie Rhodes doing "Cut the Crap" from the "Cut the Crap" LP, doing "Dirty Punk." Joe Strummer. What do you remember about that period? Because the crowd. Cram- the, sorry, I, I want to say the cramps because I love the cramps too. Did
3: you, did you, yeah, me too. I love the cramps. Whatever happened to that? Well, anyway, that's a different. That's a different matter.
0: Well, rest in peace, Lux Interior. The lead singer sadly passed away this past year, which was really sad. Oh,
3: really? Sad. Oh, I didn't know that. You know, when I was thinking about the cramps this year, for some reason, maybe that's why. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. So, Joe's... They were very funny. The cramps. Yeah. Did you
0: ever consider them for any movies?
3: No, they were a bit too. They were they were a bit a bit too, you know. I wouldn't say mainstream, but they were kind of a very established band, you know, when I knew them. I saw them one time in in Los Angeles. I just thought they were wonderful. They were so funny, you know. And you know Cut the Crap. I mean, probably you and I are the only two people who like Cut the Crap.
0: Exactly. That's why I I love the song Dirty Punk. That's one of my yeah. favorites. Dirty Punk. Dictator is good too. And this
3: is England? And this is England is a wonderful song. Yeah. You I mean, I think it's an underrated album, but people were so mad at Joe for breaking up The Clash that, and, then, and then just sort of having his own version of it with Simonon and Rhodes that, that they wouldn't forgive him.
0: What did he think of Cut the Crap, Alex? What did Joe well, Strummer think of Cut the Crap at that time? Because he's filming Straight to Hell. Was he reflecting back on Cut the Crap? What did he think of that?
3: I, I, didn't, I don't think he thought it was entirely successful. I mean, I had this kind of take on, I had a take on Joe, which was as follows, that if he was really confident, he would mix his lyrics nice and loud, like you were saying about my voice just then. And if he, um, and if he was feeling a lack of confidence, then he would bury the vocals. And he kind of buried the vocals on Cut the Crap. And he definitely buried the vocals on Earthquake Weather. You know, whereas if you listen to the Clash albums or you listen to the Walker soundtrack, you know, Strummer's voice is out there loud and clear, you know. So I think it had had something to do with his levels of confidence.
0: And you are Alex Cox, director of Straight to Hell, which is playing tonight in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, as part of a double bill with Out of the Blue, 7 p.m. for Out of the Blue, and at 9 p.m., Straight to Hell. And hang on, there's going to be some free tickets to be had. But if you have any questions for Alex, it's 604-822-2487, 604-UBCCITR, Or feel free to tweet at Nardwar. That's at Nardwar, N-A-R-D-W-U-A-R. And we have a caller right now. Hello, caller. Are you there?
4: Yes, uh, John, it's Bill.
0: Go ahead, caller, and speak up if you could. Caller, go ahead to Alex Cox.
4: Oh, I'm talking to Alex Cox. Alex Cox, uh, Nardwar asked me to call up and ask you a few questions. I've dug up a few. Uh... This, actually, this is based on some research, so I, I won't take responsibility for all of these. But the first one that comes off the top is what the hell happened between you and Hunter S. Thompson? All respect to Terry Gilliam, but you would have made a way better Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas.
3: <laughs> have you seen the video of me and Todd when we went to T- Hunter Thompson's house in Woody Creek? No, I haven't seen that. Oh, it's pretty funny. I'm sure you can find it on the Internet somewhere. Um because it was sort of, I mean, you could see it was, yeah, it was really unfortunate and you could you could kind of tell he was on the way out. He was very, uh, he was very unhappy. And so very you just find arrogant, him on a bad day? You know? And it was somebody who somebody told me that they watched that thing on the internet because he had these guys, you know, he had, his, he had his guys there videoing everything except when he did cocaine and then they had to turn the cameras off because he didn't want to be filmed doing coke, you know, and, and so it was all a messed up situation and, and and the a friend of mine saw this thing and, and it, perhaps he was a little partial to me and me and Todd but he said that he he thought we were kind of like Thompson's caseworkers <laughs> can you imagine being Hunter as Thompson's caseworker <laughs>
4: okay that's uh okay here, here's another one that comes out this is uh this is touching on anyway i'll just read it because it's so convoluted why has there never been an english language sort of feel-good
3: Hollywood remake
4: of The Exterminating Angel... Say it again,
3: you're very quiet. Why has it never been a what? An
4: English-language sort of feel-good Hollywood remake of The Exterminating Angel, and in oh. an alternative universe where Walker was a monster hit and multiple Oscar winner, including nods for original score for Joe Strummer, screenplay by Rudy Wurlitzer, and, of course, director Alex Cox. would you have been the man for the job? That's a...
3: You, but what a funny idea. Huh? I mean, I think... I th- the Exterminating Angel was originally a stage play um, and it was called The Shipwreck, Shipwreck on Providence Street or something like that in, in, and it was set in Mexico City and I don't know if the play was ever performed but obviously Bunuel and his collaborators made it into a film and I think it would be, t- I mean to do the feel good remake as a musical of course
4: <laughs> you
3: know, um, well it would be quite something wouldn't it
4: Yeah. Okay, and and here's another one that's actually, this is my question, because, uh, and I'll just, this might have been just a dream, but I seem to remember way back when a screenwriter friend of mine telling me a Sid Field anecdote, in which Sid, who, if people haven't heard of him, is the godfather of all screenwriting gurus, told of a screenplay that a student of his wrote that was over 200 pages long, double the average, and every single page was justified. It was written by Alex Cox. What was that screenplay?
3: Oh, did I write it in a screenwriting class? You may well have. I did write a very long screenplay. I'm not sure it was 200 pages, but I think it might have been something like 138 pages. And it was a script I wrote when I was at UCLA about some, some guys in Liverpool, um, a payroll robbery in Liverpool. And these guys were, were trying to you know, use the proceeds of the robbery to fund their, their ludicrously bad musical career. Um, but it's just as, well, that film was never made. And so we, we have to be grateful that there are so many scripts that didn't get made. That we can at least be thankful.
4: That is the nature of the business. I've, I've got one. I'm hogging up too much time, but I'll, I'll throw one last note, uh, which is what's up with Repo Chick?
3: Oh, good question. Well, you would have to ask Mr. David Lynch, Sir David Lynch, because he is supposed to be the... Um, the distributor and the foreign sales agent but as far as I can see he's devoting his time entirely to selling Transcendental Meditation to school children so maybe he's a little busy
0: and Alex the caller Bill was actually inspired by Repo Man to make his own movie called Terminal City Ricochet which actually stars Jello Biafra
4: right caller well I didn't make it I was just a writer but yeah I started that but you
3: were the writer of it. oh that's good Jello's an interesting character isn't he oh yeah there's a lot of energy there,
0: but Repo Man yeah. got you going, right, Collar? If it wasn't for Repo Man, you wouldn't have started.
4: Repo Man was a movie that, um, in the mid '80s when it hit, there'd never been anything like it, and it opened up so many possibilities. It was definitely an, an inspiration, and, and in retrospect, a hell of a great movie because it rewards rewatching so much. It uh, and yeah, I mean that's that's all all. Uh, I, I hope Mr. Cox is aware of the impact that he had with that, because... Uh, well, you're
3: very nice. You're well, very
4: kind.
0: <laughs> well, thank you very much for phoning in, Caller. Anything else you want to add to the people out there at All Caller? Any other questions for Alex Cox?
4: Well, i got one more. I'll just leave you with this and hang up. Uh, what the hell's up with Mike Nesmith, if anything?
3: I'll leave it guys. Really well, know. before you hang up... At the moment. Oh. Mike Nesmith was the monkey. He was one of the monkeys, and he was the executive producer of Repo Man. Um, he has a website called Video Rant, Um where I think you can buy some Nesmith-themed memorabilia. Um, I don't really know what's going on with him at the moment, actually. I'm sure he's up to something. He's always got his fingers in some pies, but I don't, I don't really know what he's doing
0: and if anybody has any other questions for Alex, it's 604-822-2487, 604 ubc catr or tweet at Nardwar on Twitter. And Alex is talking to me, Nardwar, to human serviette, about a screening of Straight to Hell Returns with extra footage happening tonight at the Van City Cinema, the Van City Theatre at 1181 Seymour. That's at 9 p.m. tonight, introduced by local blogger, Alan McInnes from Alienated in Vancouver, and also at 7 p.m., it's a double bill. You get to see Out of the Blue. Alex, I began by talking to you about soundtracks. In Straight to Hell, on your soundtrack, I heard a little bit of Yakety Yak. How much would it cost for me to put Yakety Yak in a movie that I would make? Because you put Yakety Yak by the coasters in Straight to Hell.
3: We licensed it, and I can't imagine that we paid more than a couple of thousand dollars. I can't imagine that we, would, that we would have paid more than that because when we were making Repo Man, we wanted to license Burning Down the House by Talking Heads. And they wanted, or their record company, wanted $10,000 for, know, for an extract from that song. And it was just beyond our, beyond our humble budget. So I imagine that we were able to license the, that little trip of the coasters you know, for, for a reasonable sum.
0: And we have a Facebook question for you, Alex Cox, from Roni, and Roni, Ronnie asks, Have you ever played in a band, Alex?
3: No, no, I have no musical ability whatsoever. I am, I'm, I'm, I am tone deaf. Straight- I can play no instrument.
0: And Straight to hell returns. I noticed when I watched it, right off the bat, it says, An island film. Does that mean that you deal with Richard Branson?
3: No, because he was virgin. Oh, okay. For some Island reason, Island was another one of those. Um, oh, that was the one of those the police mil- Island-based millionaires. Um, Chris Blackwell,
0: Stuart Copeland, and uh, Miles Copeland. Island, the police yes. connection. Yeah,
3: Chris Blackwell was the guy I think that was the maybe was the owner or one of the owners of the company, and he was a guy kind of like Branson. You know, if they the kind of a you know, sort of a larger-than-life character who lived on a Caribbean island, and, and he was the discoverer of Grace Jones. How about that? That's
0: quite something. And also a lot of prog rock bands, too. He loved the prog rock, Richard Branson, didn't he?
3: I don't, but this wasn't Branson. This was the other guy. This was Blackwell.
0: Oh, back Blackwell. to Blackwell. Oh, right, of course. Blackwell. And for Straight to Hell Returns, Alex Cox, where were the reels stored all these years? Because you restored how much extra footage is on there, and where were the reels stored? Like, what happens to film once a film is done?
3: It's interesting, isn't it, what does happen? I mean, it's the negative. Um, in theory, the negative stays at the lab, the laboratory, which, the laboratory, which did, the, did the processing, and they keep the negative in the hope that, over the years, you will want to make more prints, do additional, you know, make additional things with it. Um, but there comes a certain time when, when the lab goes out of business or decides they need the space for something else, you know. And so I was very lucky that the original materials of Straight to Hell, when the lab went bust, didn't get thrown in, in the bin, but they were actually acquired by UCLA Film and Television Archives. And so I was able to track down the, the picture elements at UCLA, and make a new high definition transfer from them, but then we had to go and find the audio elements from all over the place because i couldn't I just had no idea what it i mean I imagined all the old thirty five millimeter mag you know because it was like mag film back in those days we weren't recording on hard drives or on flash or anything I mean it was like great big rolls of film and so we had to recreate the audio really from from whatever elements that we could find, and that included the, like the original DVD, the the laser disc, the um, VHS tapes, which had been used for scoring. So it's all a bit of a a bit of a mishmash. But I think the the good thing is the sound designer Richard Beggs is very competent, and, and so he was able to you know make. The, Alex
0: Cox, director of Straight to Hell, playing in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, tonight. What was everybody drinking during Straight to Hell? I.e., in the movie, what type of coffee was it? What brand of coffee was everybody drinking? The actual people in the movie. What type of coffee was that?
3: It was whatever the caterer had. It was whatever the caterer provided. The caterer's name was Felix, and so whatever he got, and I imagine it was fairly cheap, you know, but strong. You know? Everything about but the movie. But the good thing about that, but the, don't forget, this is Spain, though, so they're kind of very laid back about things. And I mean, they would come along with lunch, and with lunch they would serve wine. You know, and you could have a little brandy after lunch if you wanted. You know, I mean, it was a terribly civilized compared to the the Puritan paranoid ethic of a British or an American film set.
0: What about the costuming? I really loved the costuming that was done by Pam Tate.
3: Yeah, isn't it great? It's absolutely lovely. I think that it's such a good... I think that maybe the best single work in the whole film is Pam, you know, because the costumes are so good, especially the women's costumes. They're really something.
0: I kind of was reminded a bit about Time Bandits. Do you think there's any comparison between Time Bandits and Straight to Hell?
3: You know, I don't know, because I haven't seen Time Bandits. Just for the costumes. I haven't seen very many Terry Gilliam films. I saw... Um... Brazil, which I liked very much, but i haven 't seen time ben.
0: Alex Cox, Director of Straight to Hell playing tonight in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, at the Van City Theatre at nine p m The location you mentioned Spain. How about the set construction? What was the set construction? How much was constructed for the actual movie?
3: Not very much because we were using a set that was built for a Charles Bronson film about fifteen years previously. And I guess that Bronson wasn't very tall because everything was built kind of undersized. The ceilings were very low. The doorways were very low. So you sort of got the impression that Bronson was about like five foot six. And they built the town kind of around this guy who was of quite short stature. Um, A lot of actors are quite short, so it actually worked very well. It 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 made all of our cast look much bigger.
0: Alex, how about for all the sweat on all the characters? Did you have to add sweat or was that natural because it was hot? Because there's lots of sweat happening, especially on Psy.
3: There was a lot of sweat happening anyway because it was 110 degrees Fahrenheit in the shade on the set. so There was a lot of natural sweating going on. Um, with the women, of course, we didn't want, you know, the women, we kind of, we would, we would powder them down and try and keep them as pristine and doll like as possible, but the men we would cover in in a kind of a mixture of sh- sugar and water in the hope that flies would land on them. Which they did.
0: Fabienne is one of the characters, and outside she's taking a shower, and I think in the background you see some cars.
3: Is that Oh by- yeah, there's cars driving by the whole time. All through the movie there's cars going by.
0: Oh, okay. I thought that might have been some of the added features of the movie that you added in, the cars part. Was that extra footage? No, the cars
3: are always there. What's been added in is there's like five or six scenes that were cut out that are back in again. There's a lot of kind of gruesome bloodshed and sort of excessive violence that's all digitally done. Um, There's a bunch of skeletons including two skeletons which are stop-motion animation, you know, like an old science fiction film. Um, And there's a pair, there's a shot of um, Miguel Sandoval's feet, which wasn't in the original, which is a very important shot that we we had to shoot specially for for this reduced or reduxed version.
0: And we're speaking to Alex Cox at 604-822-2487, 604-UBC-CATR, if you have any questions for Alex. Director of Straight to Hell, director of Sid and Nancy, Repo Man, The Silencers 2.0, but back... Search is 2.0, Search is 2.0. The Silencers 2.0 would be pretty good, too. Silencers
3: 2.0 would be good, too, yeah.
0: Alex, for distribution of Straight to Hell, how long did it play?
3: Oh, originally? I think it, the longest it played anywhere was a week. I think it got pulled out of most places after a day or two. But I think in Seattle they liked it, and it played, played for a bit longer in Seattle.
0: How about for TV? I heard it was translated, like, into German. Have you seen any of those different versions? What are the translations like of the movies that you've done?
3: I haven't seen the German version, but I've seen the Japanese version, and it's good. I mean, it's not dubbed, though. It's just subtitled. So I'd like to see it dubbed in Japanese. I think that would be very good.
0: The reception of Straight to Hell. How did the English press embrace it? For instance, the New Musical Express, being down with the Clash and everything. Did you get a review in NME? What did the English press think of Straight to oh, Hell? Oh, I think
3: they probably hated it. I mean, I—I I, was Joe that had to bear the brunt of that, though, because Joe was really was the film's big supporter in England when the film came out. You know, I mean, I was off in Nicaragua. I was preparing another film down there when the film came out in England, and Joe really had to had to take the heat for it, you know. Uh, now they were mad at him about two things. They were mad at him about breaking up the clash and mad at him for being in Straight to Hell, you know. So he was very valiant at that time. He really was. How long before
0: was it that Tarantino saw Straight to Hell? When did Tarantino first see Straight to Hell?
3: Oh, I don't know. Hold on. Just let me uh, let, let me grab this phone call. I'll, I'll come right back. Let me say hello. Okay. Hey, can, I, can I back in a
0: minute? And we're speaking here live to Alex Cox.
3: Just, well, I'll call you right back in a minute. Thank
0: who you. is talking about Straight to Hell, which is appearing tonight in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, at the Van City 1181 Seymour Street. Straight to Hell returns. Alex Tarantino, has he ever commented on Straight to Hell?
3: I don't know because he doesn't admit the things that he stole because Reservoir Dogs is a... Reservoir Dogs is a remake of a of a Hong Kong action film, isn't it? Because I remember there were there used to be all websites devoted to this, scene-by-scene analysis of Reservoir Dogs and whatever the the, the Hong Kong film was called. Um, but I don't think he cops to. Some filmmakers don't like to don't like to admit that there are other there are other films in the world. You know, it's kind of a maybe they feel you know they're made anxious by the fact that there have been other films before theirs, but I always think you all, you know, steal from the best, you know, I mean, why not? Alex Cox, we have a
0: Facebook question to you from Stephen Roth of Highlands Ranch, Colorado, And and he says, what made you want to do a movie about the Sex Pistols? What made you want to do a movie about the Sex Pistols?
3: Well, I didn't really want to do a movie about the Sex Pistols. I was more into The Clash. I mean, Sid and Nancy's really about Sid Vicious and Nancy Spungen, you know. Well, there is a little bit of Sex Pistols history at the beginning of it, but, but really for a good movie about the Sex Pistols, you would want to see Julian Temple's film The Great Rock and Roll Swindle. I mean, that's a pretty interesting uh, history of the, of the Sex Pistols from the sort of the perspective of Malcolm McLaren. How about re-
0: how about recent stuff, Alex? Did you see that Discovery Channel thing, The Final Twenty Four Hours? Sid Vicious.
3: No, I didn't. Was it any good? It's
0: quite interesting. It's on YouTube. You can check it out. The final 24 hours, like one of those Discovery Channel series things. And it made me kind of think about the end of Sid Vicious's life. Did you ever interview Neon Leon at all, the black glam punk rocker who was hanging around with Nancy? Did you ever interview him?
3: Now I'm trying to think, because I remember his name, but I don't remember if he was one of our interview subjects or not. We did interview a bunch of people in, in New York and in England who'd known them, but I don't think we, we knew about Neon Leon, but I don't, we, I don't think we interviewed him, no. I don't think we
0: did. In regards to interviewing people, Alex Cox, and we're speaking here to the director of Sid and Nancy, Straight to Hell, Repo Man, Alex Cox on the Nardwarta Human Serviette Radio Show, Slash. Was he really in Sid and Nancy, Slash from Guns N' Roses? Was he in Sid and Nancy? I don't think so. Because he said in his biography that he was in Sid and Nancy, Slash. Do you remember casting any Guns N' Roses members? No.
3: Oh no, he definitely wasn't cast in it. I mean he might have been an extra. He could have been in one of the one of the club scenes, maybe. Maybe he
0: was an extra in it. That's what he said in his autobiography.
3: Do maybe he was in I mean, maybe he was one of the extras. Do you get people you know, because there were all these club scenes and stuff, weren't there, that we shot at the Starwood, and I guess it's possible he was you know, he and maybe some of his colleagues were in were were hired as extras.
0: Do you get people coming up to you over the years saying, "Hey, Alex, I was in one of your movies, and you can't remember who they were, or that they were an extra"?
3: Oh yeah, oh yeah. I we we had a um, a screening of Repo Man some years ago in um, in a parking lot down in uh, downtown Los Angeles, and a whole lot of the cast came along, including um, a guy. And and then I said, "Well, all the cast come down, we'll all line up, and we'll say who we are." And one guy came down, and um, and I said, who are you? And he goes, oh, I'm so-and-so. I played the transvestite wife of Harry Dean Stanton. And I thought, I thought to myself, no, you didn't. I know who that guy was, and he's dead. But I also thought, if you've got the nerve to come down here and stand in this row and pretend that you were in Repo Man, well, why not, you know? So I just played along with it and pretended he was in the film.
0: Alex Cox, how did Courtney Love find you? Because I'm assuming that Courtney Love found you. She's in Straight to Hell. How did she originally find you?
3: Well, she wanted to play Nancy Spungen in the Sydney Nancy film. And she had, she had done a, um, an audition tape which she'd sent us, and then I think she read for uh, the casting directors, and I thought she was very good. Um, it's just that because we'd cast this guy, Gary Oldman, as Sid, and he was quite a bit older than Sid actually was, um, whereas Courtney was quite a bit younger than Nancy was. And so, in a way, it, it, the age disparity would have been kind of a bit weird, and also, Gary Oldman was such a, an experienced actor. And Courtney was so young and, and, and not experienced, I mean, he kind of would have steamrolled her. So um, I just thought she couldn't, you know, it wasn't fair. It wouldn't have been fair to cast her as Nancy. And we she- had to cast somebody as Nancy who was as tough as Gary. Uh, but she's interested in Nancy. She plays one of Nancy's pals. And then I thought, and I thought she was a very interesting person, very entertaining, Courtney, and very, very talented. Did
0: Did you have any plans for her for future movies like After Straight to Hell? Did you have any other Courtney Love plans?
3: Let me think. Let me think. And while you're thinking, I don't think so because the next thing I did was in Nicaragua, and then, um, then I made, then I was making films in Mexico, and I think that around about that time was when she got together with Kurt Cobain and all of that history occurred.
0: We have a tweet question for you, Alex Cox, director of Straight to Hell, from Street Chant. And Street Chant says, what do you think of Courtney Love nowadays?
3: Well, I mean, I don't have a a, a clear opinion. Of Courtney, to tell you the truth, I mean, I haven't seen or heard uh, a lot of her work.
0: So she, she hasn't before, shown up at work. Has she shown up at any of the screenings of Straight to Hell? When is the last time you actually talked to Courtney Love?
3: I don't think she would. I don't think that she would espouse Straight to Hell because she looked so different. Um, you know, I mean, that was the old the, the the Courtney of Straight to Hell is the Courtney that I knew and the Courtney that Kurt Cobain fell in love with. But that, I think, is a somewhat different person from the quite seriously, dramatically restructured individual that, that we now know, you know, or that we know of, but we know vaguely. Um, so I, I have a feeling that the authentic, lovable Courtney of, um, of the early 80s um, became, uh, became something else.
0: When was the last time you actually talked to her? Was it on the set well, of Straight I don't to remember.
3: Hell? I mean back in the day, you know, back in those in those times, it was after we'd done Straight to Hell. And I remember walking through Venice, California with her and I think she was staying with a friend of hers who was a hairdresser or something on on Main Street. And I remember walking her over to the hairdressers and and um I think she was concerned about what she was going to do, how she was going to make it. She really, 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 really wanted to do something, but but was it was she going to be an actress? Was it going to was she going to be a a, a singer? You know, what was she going to do? And I was just, I said, well, I think you know, I just I think it's going to be all right. Whatever you do, I think it's going to turn out all right. You know, just just you know, do it do it sincerely. You're a very talented person, and it'll all be okay.
0: And we're speaking here to director Alex Cox, the director of Sid Nancy, but also the director of Straight to Hell, which is playing tonight in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, at the Van City Theatre. That's 1181 Seymour Street. It's screening as part of a double bill with Out of the Blue. Out of the Blue at 7, Straight to Hell at 9 p.m. I mentioned Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, Alex, because Elvis Costello lives in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada now. When is the last time you've seen Elvis Costello?
3: long time ago. Probably at a Pogue show, probably in the aftermath of, uh, of Straight to Hell, because I thought he was a very, very good actor, and I wanted him to go to Nicaragua and be in the film Walker, but he didn't like to travel very much. Um, he didn't really like to go far away, you know, and it was very arduous, some of the traveling that was involved. And so um, so I never renewed my troth with him, but I thought he was a wonderful. I thought he was actually, you know, because sometimes musicians aren't very strong actors, but he was. He's a very good actor.
0: And if he's listening right now, Elvis Cassandra. On down the
3: theater, Elvis.
0: Yeah, tonight at 9 p.m. with any other cast members from Straight to Hell that might be in Vancouver, 9 p.m. Straight to Hell returns. Alex Cox, what about Roger Ebert? Have you ever met him? Because he's done some interesting reviews of some of your movies.
3: Isn't he dead? Is he still alive?
0: He still is alive and tweeting hard.
3: Ugh, the guy's a spook. The guy's a fucking spy. I shouldn't say that. That's a bit rude of me to say that word. But you know what I mean? I, I was invited to do a talk about Dr. Strangelove at the American Embassy in London. You know, I thought, well, this is too good to miss. You know, I'll go down in the bunker and I'll get to see the big board and all that, you know. So I went and did this little talk about Dr. Strangelove, Stanley Kubrick's immortal film about nuclear war. And in the audience is this Ebert character, this creature, you know. And I, and I said to him, I said, what are you doing here? And he goes, oh, oh, just, you know, I'd like to check in. And I go, what do you mean? You check in at the, to the American Embassy? Yeah. I you're a spy, aren't you? No, 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 I'm not a spy. But 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 I have to ask you, Mr. Serviette, do you know anybody who when they go abroad checks in at their embassy?
0: No. Have you ever done that? No, not unless you like you lose your passport or something like not that. Not unless
3: you lose your passport or you're a spy. And you go to get your instructions as to who you're gonna stitch up next, what filmmaker you're gonna ruin next, you know, and that's Ebert.
0: So you had no idea of all the people that he would actually be there, and just for the people that don't know, he did an interesting review of Walker, didn't he?
3: He, I think, wrote the proto. He wrote the sort of the um, which is one of your movie type review, which was then used by other other reviewers to to attack the film. So he was quite instrumental in causing in causing Walker, you know, to have a bad reputation, which it really didn't deserve because it's actually quite a good film, Walker. Directed
0: by Alex Cox, and we're directed
3: by me, of course. I would say that, wouldn't I?
0: And we're still here with Alex Cox. And if anybody has any questions, it's 604-822-2487, UBC C I T R. And we have a tweet question for you from Yanov, who says, "What ever happened to Campbell Soup commercials? And where's the beef?"
3: Well, I'm not really a very good person to answer that question, I'm afraid. I
0: uh, I was thinking about Campbell's Soup commercials. I was thinking the connection to you, to Campbell's Soup, and it kind of ties into the movie Out of the Blue because didn't Dennis Hopper have a lot of Campbell's Soup paintings? Maybe that's what Yanov is getting at, Dennis Hopper and you.
3: Well, you know, I don't know if Den- Dennis had any of those because, boy, I mean, I know he had a big art collection, but I don't know if it extended as far as those Andy Warhol things. I mean, those those probably were selling for a million by the time that Dennis was in a position to buy them. Although he was a very, I mean, he was a very, very canny guy, Dennis. I mean, he spent his money very wisely. Every time he made money, he would buy property. He either bought land, houses, or art, you know?
0: Alex Cox, what did Dennis Hopper say to you about Out of the Blue? Did he ever talk to you anything about the movie Out of the Blue? And also, have you ever considered shooting in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada?
3: Oh, yeah, I would love to. I mean, I think it's a beautiful city. It's a beautiful city, you could do. It. Yeah, I mean, obviously, and a lot of films get made there. And you can make some great films in in BC and in. Uh, I was trying to do one there with Rudy, with Rudy Wurlitzer. So we were trying to make a, a cowboy film in the forest called Zebulon, and uh, it didn't come about. But um, but we were trying to do it, and uh, that would have been shot up there. Um, then what did Dennis say about Out of the Blue? I know he liked that girl very much, the one who plays the lead. He thought that she was like a really, really, you know, strong kid, you know, and a strong actor.
0: I think your name was Linda.
3: Yes, yeah, Linda Mance. Linda Mance, that's right. And I wonder if she's still around. I wonder how she's doing. We have, come tonight. we have
0: a Facebook post for you from Nate, and it simply says to Alex Cox, thank you for Repo Man. Thank you, period. That's all it My says. My pleasure.
3: Speaking, My pleasure.
0: Speaking of Repo Man, Tracy Walter, who played Miller in Repo Man, he always plays like dirty, creepy people on TV or in movies. Is he like that in real life? Has he always really been sort of a creepy guy? Oh,
3: no, he's not creepy at all. He's absolutely lovely. No, he's a very charming <laughs> He's a very charming person. No, he's very, very nice. I mean, I guess he, it's typecasting, isn't it? You get set in a... You know, the people that do the casting, they often, they they, they, they see an actor do something and they just want him to do it again, you know? Um, but he's... No, he's not creepy at all, Tracy. He's very... I mean, he's kind of otherworldly, you know, but, um, but definitely not creepy. He's a very lovely man.
0: There's Repo Chick, which is not a sequel to Repo Man, but it's somehow related... Can you tell us a little bit, Alex Cox, about Repo Chick and Repo Chick and a rubber band? There's something to do with rubber bands that are important with Repo Chick. Is there? Yes, you wear rubber bands in Repo Chick to remind you stuff.
3: No, that must be another movie.
0: Yes, I heard one of your co-writers on Repo Chick talking about the elastic band that they would put on their wrist to remind them to keep the budget
3: low. I don't have a co-writer, Repo Repochick, I'm the only writer of it.
0: Co-producer? Co-filmer? Well, it may, you know, I
3: mean... I'm wondering, maybe Darren Hicks, who was one of the producers, maybe she would do that, maybe she said that because she was the real genius behind keeping the budget low. And maybe Darren would do that. Maybe she would, like, whack her wrist with a rubber band to punish herself for having bought lunch.
0: Is Repo Chick a sequel to Repo Man? Because right now, things are really confusing. There was that movie that came out, Repo Men.
3: No, that's Universal's fake sequel to Repo Man. Do people uh, think that
0: that is a sequel? Do people think that Repo Men... Yes. They do?
3: People do. It's, I mean, if, I, you know, if there was any justice in the world, you know, I would be very rich now because Universal have stolen my intellectual property and have passed off a piece of crap as a sequel to Repo Man. But I am not in a position to sue one of the largest media conglomerates in the known universe. You know, these guys, they can do pretty much whatever they want. And so they do.
0: Repo Chicto, is that a sequel? And where did you find Jacqueline Jonay?
3: It's not a sequel. It's a a film about the current economic crisis. Um, And it was inspired for me by the fact that when I... um, went out, you know, investigating the repo business years and years ago, I found myself working for a repo man who was employed by General Motors Acceptance Corporation, GMAC. And then years later, um, you know, well, two, two years ago, um, the economic crisis, which we're all now suffering from, uh, was caused in part by GMAC. G.M.A.C. Were, were allowed under the Clinton regime to uh, become a bank. Clinton um, and Lawrence Summers and, and Rubin and that bunch deregulated the banks and permitted these repo companies to, to essentially make loans to poor people who couldn't possibly afford houses and then resold the loans and wrecked the economy. Um, wrecked the lives of all those people so i thought that was interesting because that was a it was a continuation of the kind of business malpractice that they had uh, been engaged in in the car industry only now it was people's homes that they were taking away so i thought that was very poignant and very and worth making a a film about uh and jacqueline um, I met her to an audition she, she read for uh, Searchers and she was very good she's in, she plays the daughter of the actor Del Zamora in uh, uh, Searchers 2.0 um, and she's just great she's a wonderful actor Alex she's in a series now I think I don't know if it's on television or what but I know that she's been shooting for months some mini series or some, some show which is called The Boring Life of Jacqueline. And I don't know if she plays Jacqueline or if it's just a coincidence.
0: And if you're bored out there, listeners, tonight is the night for some stimulation. At the Van City Theatre, 1181 Seymour here in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, 7 p.m., Out of the Blue by Dennis Hopper and 9pm Straight to Hell by Alex Cox and we have some tickets for that if you just keep holding on at the end of the show we're going to give away some free tickets to go see both movies at Double Bill tonight at the Van City and we have live on the air still Alex Cox 604-822-247 604-UBC-CITR if you have any questions for Alex Alex, Michael Nesmith! The caller earlier mentioned Michael Nesmith. How did he find you? He helped out with Repo Man. How did Michael Nesmith find you, or how did you find him? Like, finding a monkey is not
3: easy. I know, it was through another guy. It was through a guy who was a friend of Nesmith, who was another producer, who had made um, a film with him called Time Rider, um, which I think was shot in New Mexico. And so, I, so I, I met Nesmith through this other guy. And at one point, Nesmith was going to finance the film himself. But then he thought he actually could, he could probably sell it to a studio instead and wouldn't have to risk his own money, you know. He's a very clever person about money.
0: Did you meet his mom at all? Because didn't his mom invent liquid paper?
3: His mom did invent liquid paper. But no, I, I think that probably she passed away before our, um, our, uh, our, our paths crossed. I think. Alex, I'm you're probably wrong. I mean, she's probably listening. She probably lives in Vancouver and she's listening to this show now with Roger Ebert.
0: Alex, you're from England. Were there many other Brits at UCLA when you were there at film school? Was that unique for somebody British to go to UCLA for film school?
3: Oh, no. There were always the English guys there. I mean, there was always a kind of a throughput of some English people. The head of the school at one point was a guy called Colin Young, and he was a limey, you know, so. Um, and he was very liked. I mean, he, they always thought about his regime with, you know, the, people spoke very well of his, his regime, which I guess maybe he was at, he was running the school when, like, Francis Coppola was a student there. That's a few years ago.
0: And you've mentioned that Nicholas Rogue helped you out. How did Nicholas Rogue help you out?
3: Nicholas Rogue got us a free screening at the National Film Theatre in England for my student film because I was trying to get them to give us a screening, and they said, well, um are you guys, you know, do you have anybody coming to the screening? And I go, who do you mean? Well, like famous, famous people. I go, what do you mean? What kind of famous people? Well, famous film directors. Who, who, who? Well, if you had Lindsay Anderson and Nicholas Rogue coming, then we give you screening. So I, and in these days, you know, I mean, I, you wouldn't find them in the phone book now, probably, but in those days they had their names in the phone book and stuff. You could just call them up. So I called up Lindsay Anderson and Nicholas Rogue and invited them to a screening of my student film. And, and, um, Rogue came, rogue Nicholas Rogue came with a woman in a long leather coat, you know, dressed all in black. Wow. <sighs> they were so cool.
0: Alex Cox, now you live in Portland, Oregon. Have you
3: met any No no I don't I don't live in Portland. People think I live in Portland because they think, you know, if you say Oregon, they assume one must live in Portland, you know, but no, I live in a place called the Colstein Valley, which is about halfway between Portland and San Francisco. Almost in California, but not quite.
0: Oh, okay, because I was thinking Portland, and I was thinking of British people, and Johnny Marr of the Smiths and the Cribs lives there now, and I was wondering if you were bumped into him at all. Johnny Marr.
3: No, oh, I don't know Portland very well. I mean, I've mean i been there a few times because my wife's a publisher, and so she works with Powell's Books, and there's a big literary event there every year called Wordstock that she goes to. So I've been to those things with her, but I don't, I don't know the city very well.
0: Alex Cox, we have another question for you from Facebook, from Colin Jones, and Colin Jones asks, Alex Cox, about the conspiracies that are against you, that Hollywood has against you, and what is the beer like in the ship in (laughs) Mitra?
3: Well, I have no knowledge of conspiracies, because conspiracies are, by very definition, they're an agreement by two or more people to commit a crime. So I, um, of course, being a clean-living youth, or middle-aged youth, I have no knowledge of criminal activity at all, and I cannot say what the studios are up to, except that they're a bunch of gangsters, and they should all be banged up in jail. Um, but the Ship and Mitre is a very decent pub in Liverpool, um... It's, I mean, I think it's probably my favorite pub in Liverpool. Uh, They have a very good selection of beer. Uh, It's been there forever. Um, Yeah, it's a nice place. It's a nice place.
0: And we have another question from Graham Berry. Will we see a sequel to Walker?
3: That would be good, wouldn't it? (laughs) Walker returns. We'll have to ask Ed Harris if he's available.
0: And other people have asked me, Walker, is that Chuck Norris? What's the connection between Walker and Chuck Norris and your own Walker?
3: Well, here's the thing. Um, The film Walker was made in Nicaragua at the time that the United States government was funding a terrorist war against Nicaragua. They were paying, Reagan and Carter had set up this thing called the Contras, who were like a terrorist gang. Kind of like the Mujahideen or al Qaeda, but they were based in Central America, and they would murder you know poor peasants in Nicaragua in order to destabilize the country and bring down the Sandinista government. Um, we were on the other side, we were on the side of the Sandinistas um, for whatever reason, and that obviously did tend to create a certain level of anxiety, I suppose which is why Ebert had to be drafted in to be part of the process of destroying the the critical reputation of the film. But there was also, do you know that, that that Robert Redford announced that he was gonna make his own film of Walker? That he so disliked my film, he announced in the press that he was going to direct and star in his own film about William Walker to set the record straight. Which I thought that would have been great. I'd love to have seen Oliver Redford do that. But it didn't do it.
0: What an honor that would be.
3: That would be just great, wouldn't it? Because I think that, in a sense, there was then, right after that, a television series came out called Walker, Texas Rangers. And I think the idea starring the, the big lug karate guy, you know. And I think that that was part of a process of, of kind of recapturing the name. Because we had made Walker synonymous with... Um, insane right-wing politics and by by making walker a texas ranger the sort of the patriarchal media were able or, or perhaps were trying to be able to to recuperate that name and make it a good american cowboy name again well, Instead of the name for Mad, the Mad God King of Nicaragua in 1853. Winding up here
0: with Alex Cox, that made me think, hmm, you do Walker, Robert Redford wants to do his own Walker, that's very punk, you know, inspiring. You go see a punk band, and you get inspired to start your own punk band, and it made me think some more. What was the first punk gig you saw in England, and what was the first punk gig that you saw in Los Angeles, and was that at Mask?
3: I'd left... England really before it got going because I went to go to UCLA in 1977 and the punk thing had got going in London, but I didn't live in London, so I was never really part of that scene, you know. And or no, not really, I was never part of that scene, I didn't know anybody there. Um, so the first punk gigs that I saw were in Los Angeles and You know what? I think the first act I saw was Devo. How about that? That's pretty good. I mean, in some little club, it might have been The Mask, because I think The Mask moved around, didn't it? It was in different places at different times. Alex Cox,
0: how scrutinized over the years has Repo Man been? I noticed on the website jalopnik.com they were talking about the Little Tree Car Freshener. They asked you about this and they phoned up the Little Tree Car Freshener people and they asked them about Repo Man and they didn't know about that being in the movie. How scrutinized is that? What can you tell the people about the Little Tree Car Freshener and the scrutinization of Repo Man.
3: When I was working for a Repo Man um, in Los Angeles back in those days, um, he told me that every car he repossessed had one of those little Christmas trees hanging from the, the, uh, the rear view mirror. And so whenever he saw a car with one of those, he thought, oh, I'm having that car, you know. Because there was something about the kind of loser. Who purchases a horrible-smelling product and hangs it in their car and breathes the vapors? You know, which also led them to, you know, make make unwise economic decisions and, and lose their property. Um, but the car, but the little tree guys were were. They did know actually at the time. Probably when when Jalopnik called up, it was a different. Yeah, different company, different guy, different, you know, a whole, the the guys who'd licensed us the, uh, the little tree back in 1983 had probably retired. Um, but what they did do, which was very kind of them, because we wanted to have the little trees and, you know, and promote them because they are a part of the repossession legend. Um, but we didn't want to have to smell them. And the guys at the car freshener corporation said, oh, don't worry, we entirely understand, (laughs) you know. So we will provide you with a bunch of little trees that haven't got the scent. And so when you see Tracy Walter and Harry Dean and all those guys in the film with the little trees, they don't actually smell of anything, which is much better.
0: Alex Cox, November 22nd, 2010, November 23rd, 1963. Gary Oldman from Sid and Nancy was Oswald in JFK. Did you help him with any of his research at all? Because you helped me understand a little bit about the JFK assassination regarding your talk on YouTube about the parallax view and Richard Case-Nagel. Lastly here, Alex Cox, what can you tell the people, Richard Case-Nagel and the parallax view? (laughs) Well,
3: that's fun. So anyway, in answer to the, the Gary thing, no, I didn't help Gary at all. I had lost touch with him when he did that movie. Um and so he did all of that research on his own, but he's an extraordinary mimic, extraordinarily able to get inside the skin of these other characters, you know, whether it's Sid Vicious or B. Harvey Oswald, you know, and, and really, really do a very, very creditable job of, of seeming to be them, you know, so that's his genius. Um, and the Parallax View, yeah, if you go on YouTube, you can find this long, long introduction that I did uh, talking about the parallax view. Um, you know, I do have to say, though, I love conspiracy theories. I'm fascinated by them, and I always like to think of the worst of, you know, of, of everybody, you know, especially the government, you know.
0: And Roger but, Ebert. You lived it, Roger,
3: Roger Ebert. Ebert. But, you know, I don't know if there was any truth to Nagel's story in the end. I think that May uh, Nagel was... Nagel walked into a bank in El Paso, Texas, and fired off a gun um, a couple of months before the Kennedy assassination. Um, He later said that he had done that because he was part of the assassination conspiracy and he wanted to be in jail, safe in jail, when the president was murdered. But, But was that true? Or was that just something that he said because he was kind of a brain damaged vet, you know, who was having a hard time and was having problems with his family and, and, you know, and was looking for attention or was there truth in it? But I tend to think maybe, maybe the Nagel part of the conspiracy, uh, story is, isn't, is untrue. We would have to ask the author of the book, the man who knew too much, um, because that's a massive book about Nagel and about other aspects of, the, of um, a possible assassination conspiracy. And, uh, but I do think maybe the Nagel story, maybe the Nagel story is not true. Maybe not. Alex Cox, what can
0: you tell the people, lastly, lastly, about putting Cox in a Debbie Harry video?
3: Oh, aren't they nice? That's Debbie Harry and Iggy Pop. That's the, the video of the two of them.
0: Was that your language. idea, to put the Cox in the Alex Cox video?
3: Well, that's Debbie, isn't it? I mean, that's Debbie. She's funny, you know. I mean, they went. that was very... You know, that was funny. They couldn't... It was really weird, because that was part of a thing called Red Hot and Blue that was supposed to raise awareness about AIDS, people with AIDS. And they've and they'd done all of these videos, promos, you know, like there was one with the Pogues and... You know all this, all this, all this you U two and stuff, and, and, and you know it's a big project, and and then they finally got around to ask me to do one, and I said, well, you know, well, what are the acts, you know? Um, and they go, we've only got one song left. And they go, what is it? And it's Did You Ever by Iggy Pop and Debbie Harry. Are you all kidding? I just couldn't believe that nobody had snapped that one up, because I mean the chance to be present for a duet. By Debbie Harry and Iggy Pop. It
0: doesn't get any better than that. Emmanuel. You did something on Emmanuel. Made a
3: documentary about the Emmanuel films.
0: How possessive are you of names? You mentioned like Walker, as in, you know, some other people have taken the word Walker. There's a porno out called Beverly Hills Cox. Have you seen that? Beverly Hills Cox.
3: I bet there is. C O S. Have a very common name though. Now, I mean, Alex is like such a common name for kids as well. I mean, every time I go out on the street, I hear somebody go, "Alex, Alex." I look around; and there's some some parent calling their kid back, you know. And so uh, there's loads of Coxes too.
0: Did you ever meet Ed Wood at all?
3: No, I never met Ed Wood. No, I think he he must have died pretty. I think he what, died in like, 60s. Or something.
0: No, like 78.
3: Really? No, I never did meet him.
0: What's the closest, lastly here, lastly, lastly, Alex Cox, you got to Ed Wood? The closest that you got to him, I know he died maybe before you even got to Los Angeles, but still, what is the closest you got to Ed Wood?
3: But where did he live? I
0: think he lived, like, I'm just wondering, what's the closest you've got? Like, have you got to Bela Lugosi's grave or anything like that? Have you touched Peter Murphy? You know, what's the closest you've got to Ed Wood? Have you got to any... I've
3: been in... I've been in Bela Lugosi's house. Because that was purchased by a film producer. I think it was Phil Spector's house as well at one point. Um, and so I've been in Billy Lugosi's house, which is kind of like a sort of creepy mansion. Um,
0: well, I knew there was a connection. It just had to be there.
3: Alex Cox. Lagosi, yeah. I mean, Billy Lugosi, good. I was more of a Boris Karloff enthusiast myself, though. Boris Karloff was my guy, really.
0: Well, thanks so much for phoning into the Nardwara to Human Survey at Radio Show, Alex Cox. And I'd like to remind listeners right now, we'd like to remind listeners, wouldn't we, Alex, that right yes, now, would. tonight, out of the blue at 7 p.m., straight to hell at 9 p.m., and for the first, say, four callers, we'll have free tickets to go see it tonight or tomorrow. So that's 604-822-2487-604-UBC-CITR. And you get to see what? What do you get to see again, Alex? Straight to hell returns. Why should people care about straight to hell returns? What are people going to see tonight?
3: 604... Well, if they liked the original, then they'll probably like this more. And if they didn't like the original, they're probably not going to like this either. Um, But... If they get down to that theater, they'll also have the opportunity to see Out of the Blue, which is a pretty good film, pretty interesting, pretty, pretty interesting film. Very strong character played by Linda Mance. Very bad character played by Dennis, a evil guy, you know. And um, it's a fine film. I I, I want to send my very best regards to, to the cast members and the people involved in the film who are going to be there tonight because I think they did a wonderful job I think uh, certainly of the the mainstream film people that I've met, Dennis was by far the nicest and most human person I ever met in Hollywood, and I'm so sorry he's gone. And I want to wish everybody at the screening of Out of the Blue the very best and thank them for a wonderful film.
0: And that's at 1181 Seymour, and right now... Alex Cox, we're going to end with Joe Strummer from the Sid and Nancy soundtrack doing the Dumb Dumb Club. What can you tell the people about the Dumb Dumb Club, Joe well, he Strummer? He was only allowed
3: to write two songs for Sid and Nancy. Somehow his record company had, a, had made this deal with him that he could, only, he could only write two songs for a film. So what he did was he wrote two songs, one was called Love Killed and one was called the Dumb Dumb Club. But then he wrote like seven other songs as well, all of which are in the film, but they're in the film under assumed names, like the Dynamiters and that. So when you see the film of Sid and Nancy and you watch the credits roll at the end, all of these bands you've never heard of, they're all Joe's drummer. And the Dum Dum Club is, is one of the two songs that he was allowed to be credited for.
0: Anything else you want to add to the people out there at all Alex Cox?
3: Well, I think it's it, really. I mean, I think I've said my piece to the guys from Out of the Blue. And, yeah, I'm just so happy that they're screening, they're screening this double bill with two examples of, of the work of Dennis, you know? A really, a really great man, a great man, a great filmmaker, a very fine actor. Um, he is sadly missed.
0: Well, thanks so much, Alex Cox. Keep on rocking in the free world and do yes. and do. Doo. do da do do Alex?
3: Yes,
0: I'm here. do da loo
3: do. Oh, then I go do-doo. Yes, thank you. <laughs> thank you. See ya. This
1: is New York ball. You really never gonna walk. Tell we got some guy a shop. People on a busy All the time we got a team from Greens. Busy, busy people doing the machine. Yeah. <laughs> You're your blood bullets on the gun You'll have a shot